we seem to almost only focus on the short-term valuation. It's the cash flow, the, by the, the yield, etc. that brings value. It's more than that, and we shouldn't forget that. But if you look at it from that perspective, you see, especially for officers, a lot of downside risk because your long-term cash flow goes to short-term uncertain cash flows, where short-term leases, where you may have to build more business out of services, amenities, Obviously, the brand becomes far more important, the reputation of the company, whether that's the owner or the operator or the combination of the two. And I think that is uncertainty because almost you can conclude that the valuation model we use now is no longer valid. Welcome back to the Word Bold podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is episode one of season nine, sponsored by Delta Q. We're kicking off this season with a super important topic. I've been saying for several years, there's a growing gap between supply and demand in the office sector. In this episode, I'm joined by Lizette Van Dorn. Lizette is the chief exec of ULI Europe, that's Urban Land Institute. In the trailer for this season, I mentioned the report ULI released at MIPM in partnership with the Instant Group titled, Bridging the Occupier-Landlord Gap for the Future of Workspace. We dive into the details of this report in this episode, including the hurdles real estate companies face, buildings becoming more operational, regulations, achieving net zero, carbon pricing, capex cost. Lizette talks about what office customers expect today and which office assets may lose value. Speaking of value, yes, of course, we challenge existing valuation methodologies and ask whether they realistically represent the actual value of buildings. Lizette makes the case for our industry working collaboratively to evolve and tells us about ULI's Sea Change initiative and how you can get involved. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. You may have seen our headline sponsor, Delta Q, just raise 8 million euros to fund their international expansion. Delta Q is the leader in reducing energy consumption and CO2 emissions in the commercial real estate sector. Later in the show, we hear from Delta Q's UK director why this is important for our industry. Without further ado, Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Work Bull Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and I am sitting here at MIPM. We're having an excellent season nine at MIPM all week long. And thank you to Nornorm. I have to say thank you so much to Nornorm for this furniture. They are a furniture as a service company out of Amsterdam. And a thank you to Convivio for helping Nornorm get this furniture to us from Paris on time. So today, this episode, I'm sitting here with the chief exec of Europe for ULI. That's the Urban Land Institute, Lizette Van Dorn. She's responsible for the development of the Institute's activities across the region, including its renowned pan-European conferences and over 250 local meetings and events across 15 national councils. And expanding the Institute's thought leadership across Europe. Lizette joined ULI in January 2015 from LIRE, her own consultancy business, which advises international institutional real estate investors and fund managers on strategy, organizational optimization, and portfolio structuring. Prior to that, 
Van Dorn was county manager for CBRE Global Investors, where she managed a 1.6 billion euro portfolio of assets in Italy and fund manager of two shopping center funds, which were 1.3 billion euros, with assets in Spain, Portugal, and Italy. Before CBRE, she was founding chief exec for InRev. InRev is the European Association for Investors in Non-Real Estate Vehicles. She was there for four years, and she started her career at ING Investment Management, where she held account manager and assistant controller positions before being made managing director of research and strategy for ING Real Estate Investment Management Europe. Welcome to the Workable Podcast, Lizette. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. We're laughing because I said that I am going to make sure I cut out all my stuttering. And you guys can't hear this, but I do quite a bit of that. So I have to thank a podcast company for making me sound much better than what you would hear if you're sitting on the couch next to us. But Lizette, you've obviously got loads of experience across Europe in real estate, particularly around the ESG topics as well, which is our theme this season. So this week, you're releasing a new report I'm excited to talk about. And I'm excited to be at this event tomorrow. What I want to do is I want to quote something to set this up. In this, this quote comes from the report that, that you're releasing. And it says, in this uneasy juxtaposition of the shorthand long-term challenges in real estate, the environmental, social, and governance ESG agenda has become the unifying thread that links everyone, regardless of sector. Massive importance. And ESG has been talked about for quite some time now, but it's never been more important. In this episode, we're calling it Bridging the Gap. Because there's a gap. There's a gap in, in, in a few ways. One, I think there's new customer demand, and there's existing supply. There's a big gap there. But also, there's a widening gap between, quoting the report again, prime fit for purpose assets in good locations and those energy inefficient assets in tertiary locations requiring significant capital expenditure. Can we talk about this gap? Yes, we can, because I think that's the key topic we need to talk about, and that brings the whole industry together now, where, of course, we've seen things happening over the last decade almost with customer demands changing, with the impact of e-commerce, technology, climate change coming higher up on the agenda. But now, following the war in Ukraine, which obviously has a lot of impact, especially in Europe, and also the, the, the energy crisis that created that. That really brings ESG, especially the E, but the S and the G follow closely, to kind of impacting rental income. I think to give an example, this all comes together in the office sector where it's so clear. Obviously, we've seen e-commerce impacting retail for quite some time where actually some light starts to shed at the end of the tunnel, it seems, where a lot of the restructuring and the structural change starts to become priced in. Office is almost of the beginning of that in a very different time period where it all comes together, where you see the energy crisis having pushed up energy costs for tenants that they need to handle themselves. And they're looking critically in a period of economic uncertainty, not sure what the value of the office is. They see a clear value, but how to unlock it and how to make sure that people are coming back to the office, 
how much space they need, what, what exactly the configuration of the space is. It's a journey. And therefore, at parental expiry, they're critically reviewing the office stuff. And where before the ESG was sort of the, the label to help attract talent and retain talent, now it's hitting the PNL. And therefore, I think it all comes together. And obviously, if you look at it from a landlord's perspective now, you would want to do as little as you can because there's economic uncertainty, there's higher construction costs, there's higher refinancing costs, um, financing costs altogether, and the availability of capital, both debt and equity, is much more limited. So all the equity left, you want to use predominantly for that. But you might not have the time to sit back and wait for the economic situation to improve because your tenant is critically looking whether he wants to stay in the building and whether not just from demand is, is the space laid out right, is the location right, does it have access to public transport, active transport, but also the energy efficiency part and therefore what the tenant pays in total occupancy cost is hugely important. So we see a huge gap where preferably the landlord would not act now because you need the capital for different things, but you might not have the luxury to wait and see. Well, this is what I found interesting about reading this report because it talks about how many investors are sitting back on the sidelines right now holding on to their cash because we don't know what the interest rates are going to settle out at, the cost of capital, the fact that, well, are people going to come back to the office and how are they going to come back to the office? But to me, where there's problems, there's opportunities. And if we talk about this widening gap between, you know, look, there's some landlords that have got high quality assets and great locations. And as lease events come up, companies are going to those locations, but what happens to the ones they leave behind? And I think, there's an opportunity there for savvy investors to go in and make some strategic moves and, and make those repurposing. What I'm hoping that we can do is dive into, because you had this big announcement, this big partnership with Instant. I'm hoping we can dive into some of the details around that from the customer demand perspective. Yeah, we're very proud of the partnership with the Instant group that we looked into Occupy Demand for offices and then especially look at what the landlord response to that is. We've seen the Occupy demand changing rapidly. We've seen things moving somewhat slower, but trends got accelerated during the pandemic and even more now coming out of the pandemic with an economic uncertainty, with a strong focus on cost savings wherever they can be made. So, and that all comes together in the office sector. What we see from the Occupy side is very positively Offices are very important. That idea that we'll never come back to the office, that does not resonate at all. Companies recognize that the office is important to convey the corporate culture, to mentor new employees, younger employees, and to build that loyalty almost to the organization. That is extremely difficult, if not impossible, if everyone works from home 100% of the time. So the office is there to stay. But that doesn't mean that the office stock we have now responds to that demand. And I think that is the big gap we're seeing at the moment where companies want something totally different 
from the office than they wanted before because their employees want something different. They need to be drawn into the office, wanting to come because you can't force them anymore because they won't go. Is the answer clear yet? No, not completely. And that, I think, is an important observation. What occupiers would want in the process, the journey almost for them to figure out what their employees brings back to the office, they want to partner with the landlord to go with them on that journey. They, for some parts of the space, they're very happy to take long-term fixed leases because that gives them certainty as well. And you can brand that, you can do what it, whatever, whatever you want, but that needs almost a, a circle around it with flex spaces, with access to amenities, with services provided by the landlord at the time they need it. And that may be now, it may be later, it may be playing out on what employees like more and what they don't like more. So it, it's a trial and error process. And that is obviously very, very different from what many landlords have been used to in the past, where it was a 10-year lease, and by year nine and a half, you kind of came back. And in the meantime, you left it to the property manager to do the maintenance and have the day-to-day -day contact. And as long as the rent was paid on time every month, there was no reason to get in contact. And therefore, what we see is this is not just a change to, to occupy demand, but it's a whole change to the business model of offices. Not surprisingly, we've seen this change. That it all becomes, real estate becomes a service industry. And the focus needs to be fully operational, looking at every little detail. And obviously, as you pointed out before, it's huge opportunities. But there are sort of a few hurdles that need to be taken to get there. Well, I want to dive into those hurdles, but I want to first point out everything you just described you, you, is like the last three seasons of the last nine, eight seasons of the Workable Podcast. <laughs> I mean, what you described is space as a service. Excellent. We're moving from real estate being a product to, to a service. And I think you're absolutely right. The big question for me, and, and I think this will play itself out over the next few years, is how company or excuse me how real estate companies will will evolve investors aren't hands-on mostly uh, on their assets so they have to hire a manager and will those managers then partner with operators that are experts or will they build out their own i think a bit of both is happening so i'm curious to see how that plays out long term i do want to dive into some of the hurdles because what we discussed before is a sort of a pressure cooker moment happening and the economic instability is having the capital pullback, of course, but and investors aren't some investors aren't optimistic. However, now's the time, as we said earlier. So what do you see those hurdles being? Well, there are a couple. And what you've seen in the past two decades is real estate has become a full-fledged investment class. And sometimes we seem to forget that Real estate is also our infrastructure. It's where we live, work, and play. And we should definitely not forget that part. So there are different elements to value, if you will, of real estate. But we seem to almost only focus on the short-term valuation. It's the cash flow, the yield, et cetera, that brings value. It's more than that. And we shouldn't forget that. But if you look at it from that perspective, 
you see, especially for officers, a lot of downside risk because your long-term cash flow goes to short-term uncertain cash flows, where short-term leases, where you may have to build more business out of services, amenities. Obviously, the brand that becomes far more important, the reputation of the company, whether that's the owner or the operator or the combination of the two. And I think that is uncertainty because almost you can conclude that the valuation model we use now is no longer valid for offices if we're heading down that operational management direction. But we haven't reinvented yet. So it's almost the, the crux. At the same time, what you see is, we talked about that in the beginning, is the environmental side, the ESG side, and that also brings in the long-term value perspective, where obviously we are still lacking the necessary regulation to get us to net zero. But we all know what the deadline is. It's by 2050, we need to be net zero, and preferably even faster because climate is not is not so patient. And we see it changing all the time. And, and we see more extreme weather coming. So we need to act faster. But before it was like, what can we, what is the speed we can handle? How much capex do we have available? There wasn't, and why would you go first if the rest doesn't? Why would you already make those capex investments? While also in the valuation, the upside, you couldn't see it. Because you have to tie it back to you have to tie it back to ROI, right? Yes, but the ROI is now the key issue is that you do not see the cost of doing nothing in your valuation, as if there is no climate change. That's how the real estate valuations work. And as you and I, we've actually done a lot of work on this to make those transition risks transparent to show the capex that you need to invest in real estate valuations. We need to collectively speed up the process and being competitive about this doesn't help any of us because at the end there may not be a planet or a future for our children and therefore we need to act collectively. And that I think, so ESG is not just a nice label anymore. It's not a nice marketing add-on. It is crucial now and especially bringing it back to the energy costs and the energy efficiency of the building in an economic uncertain time, it's, there's the need to act now. So, so for, I think for investors who, and, and managers who want to act now, it still has to go back to, well, how, do, how much is it going to cost? And then how is this going to affect the bottom line going forward, even if we're looking long term? And I think one of the things I, I liked about our conversation is how you're working to make these costs very transparent and also identifying that gap because at the end of the day, if customers want this and they're going to a flight to quality, then these stranded assets, they're going to affect the valuation, of course, too. Yes, but that's not what your value shows you every day now because your value just shows you that the rental car income stays stable. As long as you've got rent being paid. By a tenant. If you don't have the tenants anymore, no, then there's but, no value. No, but there's no, uh, the, the value doesn't take into account the climate change risk or the, the energy efficiency part and what that may do to the interest of the, of the tenant. They just kind of track it. Yes, the rental income is projected to stay the same, especially in the current market where there are hardly any transactions, which complicates things. No, well, 
if we use our common sense, we know that that is not the reality. So we need to get rid of the idea that the current valuation is the real value of the building. We need to think, use our common sense and think, but if the building is not energy efficient, my tenant will walk away at the end of the, when the rental expiry happens and I have no rental income. So you maybe get totally bogged down in the capex you need to spend, not only to make the environmental changes, but also to kind of make fit out like the tenant wants and uh, the configuration of the building. That is the preservation of value. So capex is not a cost. Capex ensures that your building stays liquid and you have a rental income. And that is not fully understood at the moment, I think. Obviously, we're in a difficult market, so it's easy for me to say I'm not the landlord. So how do, how do we get to some sort of transparency around this? Well, first of all, promoting the work we've done on real estate valuations is recognizing the transition risk elements. And if we collectively use the same approach, we're about to launch final guidelines on real estate valuations at our conference in Madrid in, in June. Awesome. That is the starting point. We're going to build a tool, the preserve tool, for everyone to use the same methodology built on existing data sets that are already available and then take it from there. But I think the key word you said, it, it's to work collaboratively across the industry. Too much, too much is happening in silos. Exactly. And therefore, the industry is competitive. Of course. Fine. But you should not be competitive about climate change and these major changes. Because if we don't tackle them collectively, there is no industry going forward. And I think it's important to recognize you can be competitive on the services you provide to your tenants. The, the, the relationship you build up with them. And do that better than your competitors. But don't try to be competitive on how you tackle climate change. Since we're talking ESG again, let's pop over to Adam Gadiali, Delta Q's UK director. Adam, the Workbold audience is made up of office real estate professionals spanning 50 countries. Tell us a little bit about your international expansion plans for Delta Q and why that's important for office buildings. Reducing energy consumption is a major challenge for real estate organisations, especially since the sector is responsible for nearly 30% of the European Union's carbon emissions. Delta Q is a purpose-driven organisation and we partner with the largest real estate companies in the world to fight climate change and to help our customers towards net zero carbon with our triple strategy. This is what we like to call Map Plan Act. Thank you, Adam. More on Delta Q's triple strategy later in the show. So last November, you had a conference in Rotterdam. You have the Madrid conference coming up in June. Is the June conference a continuation from Rotterdam, or are we talking about different things? We're talking about different things. The one in, in Rotterdam was totally focused on our sea change program, which is set up to help the industry to decarbonize the built environment. And there we launched consultation guidelines on evaluations. Our conference in Madrid brings together the, the senior leadership of across the industry. We are expecting between 800 and 1,000 participants. 
The common thread between the two is that we will launch the final guidelines. We've finished the consultation now. We got loads of very, very useful feedback that we're incorporating at the moment. So there will be talk about climate change, there will, but there will be, we'll also speak about city leadership, how cities can stay resilient. What is the macroeconomic outlook? What's the geopolitical outlook? And how does it affect our industry? So it's much broader than that. You also mentioned in your, in your reports carbon pricing. Can we talk about that for a moment? Sure. What, what is carbon pricing for those who don't know? And why is it such an important topic? Well, carbon pricing is actually putting a price on all the carbon emissions you have from your buildings and as a company. And it's, it's not just the operational carbon, so the energy that's being used, et cetera, but it's also the carbon related to the, what's embedded in the building for the construction, the transport, et cetera, et cetera. To really move the needle, we, we've seen in other industries carbon pricing being used and helping to reduce the carbon emissions. Because if you put a price on it, it's the language the industry speaks best. If it costs me money, then I'm acting. Because now, as we talked about before, there is no cost of doing nothing. And we think with kind of a lot of nuance, carbon price can really help to set that price and to raise the awareness in the industry to to reduce the, the emissions from real estate. And ultimately, this is what customers want, and this is what their employees want. So this is what the real estate industry needs to be able to support. And if we have assets that are measuring the performance of, of those assets, the CO2 emissions, not just in the build or the redev, but also operationally, then and can report on that, then those assets the theory is, is that customers will gravitate to, to, to those assets. So how, how do you see measuring that ongoing performance working? Well, actually, what you would need for those common definitions. How do we defi define carbon emissions? And while a lot of work is going into that, it's not fully there yet. But that's what our organizations are working on, and we support that wholeheartedly. I think what you see is interesting. What you see, for example, New York has implemented a local law, I think 197, where you need to pay a fine, actually, on top of a certain level of carbon emissions. What you would expect, maybe, is that investors would say, Ooh, let's not go there anymore because suddenly my, it impacts my return, no? if there's the cost that needs to be made. But what we're actually seeing is the opposite. Investors think that climate change is dealt with seriously so for the long-term resilience of their assets, they want to go there because there's the attention to it and the investments being made to make those assets net zero and more resilient. And therefore, I think that is the thing we need to keep in mind. This is not a cost. It is a cost. But in the end, it helps us to retain the long-term value of our buildings and that is, I think, how also carbon pricing should be seen. It's, it's an investment. It's a, it's a cost, but it's an investment. Fascinating. I think this is very important work you're doing. Thank you for sharing what you're working on in the conversations you're having at MIPM this week. You mentioned sea change. 
I want to give you, before we wrap it up, I want to give you an opportunity to plug Sea Change because we're going to put a link in the show notes so people can go find out how to participate. But if you could say a few words on what, what people should do and why. Well, Sea Change is the platform, and we're really proud to have partnered with MIPIM on the Road to Zero program with our Sea Change program to help the industry decarbonize the built environment, speed up the process and scale up the initiatives because it is going too slow and we're still emitting more than before as, as the whole society. So, but we can't do this alone. And there's already so much happening across the industry within companies, within other organizations that we need to bring together. And that is what the aim of Sea Change is just not come up with new solutions. It's look what's already there and bring that together. For our valuations work, we worked with over 100 experts from the industry who all shared their existing practice. We build on that. So together we can make it better and faster. So we need people to come on board. So this is a call for participation for everyone that hears this and is interested in the topic send us an email, come to us, and work with us on, on speeding up the process. Share your experience, share your best practices, share also what not works, because then we can work on it. Well, well said. And I think when there's an obvious growing gap between supply and demand, you don't want to be stuck in the gap for sure. If I can be cheesy and use a, a UK saying, mind the gap, and I think bridging the gap is what you guys are doing with Sea Change, and it's a collaborative effort. So I certainly highly recommend and encourage everyone to get involved. Lizette, thank you so much for taking the time. Before we close this episode out, a final update from Adam Gadiali on Delta Q's triple strategy. As I mentioned earlier, everything we do needs to help the commercial real estate sector drastically reduce its carbon emissions. That's our purpose. We start with connecting building portfolios with our AI solution and commit ourselves to clear results, which include CO2 and energy reduction, operational efficiency and comfort optimization. Firstly, in order to reduce the building's energy consumption, we deploy our technology across building portfolios. We do this by mapping the building through a digital diagnosis or creating a digital twin of the building. This also includes precise local weather forecast and occupancy data. Secondly, through planning, which is where we conduct a physical diagnosis of the building with our HVAC and BMS specialists to ensure that the availability of data is as closely aligned with reality. From there, we identify building and system anomalies, build a roadmap towards savings, and advise on the carbon return of retrofit investments. Thirdly, by taking action. This is where we take both digital and physical data and automate repetitive savings through our AI steering of the HVAC systems. That's our triple strategy. There you go. What an important purpose. Be sure to visit DeltaQ.io to learn more and listen to episode eight this season where I got to sit down with Delta Q's CEO, Khadija Nadia at MIPM for a deeper dive into their purpose of helping the real estate sector on the road to zero. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com.